Welcome back to 1A, a podcast from First Presbyterian Church of Columbia, South Carolina. 1A is a podcast designed to take a brief but in-depth look at counseling issues from a pastoral perspective. Reverend Squires is the pastor for counseling here at First Presbyterian Church, and I'm Josh Fleming, the pastoral intern to the college ministry. Today's episode examines how the believer's union with and identity in Christ influences their approach to the college experience. If you have any comments about our show or questions about something you hear in this episode, please don't hesitate to contact us. You can find all of our contact info on our website at firstpresscolumbia.org. If you'd like to stay aware of new episodes, you can download our app by searching for the First Presbyterian Church of Columbia, South Carolina in the app store of your choice. We hope this ministry is a blessing to you and to those around you. Let's get to the conversation. All right, welcome back to 1A. Josh Fleming here, the pastoral intern to the college ministry here at First Pres Columbia. And I've got with me here in the studio uh, Reverend Josh Squires, our pastor for counseling, and Nate Seske, the assistant director to the college ministry. Guys, it's great to be back with you again. We're in this series discussing the transition between high school and college. And if you guys recall, last time I asked about how the culture around us views the college experience and And I thought y'all both had some uh, really helpful insights. Listeners, if you missed that last episode, you may want to go back and and catch up on that conversation. Uh, But today, I'd like to switch gears a little bit and start by asking you how our union with Christ and and our identity in Him influences our approach to higher education. Well, in a particular sense, if we take the idea of pursuing higher education specifically— sort of as a, as a step towards our vocational calling, I'm reminded of something Sinclair Ferguson said in his little book, Discovering the Will of God. Mm. Uh, and in it, he has this simple line, and it was in the chapter on vacation, if vocation, if I remember correctly, and he says something sort of profound in our circles. He says, this is actually a chance for you to determine what the will of God is for your life. Mm-hmm. Meaning, as you see what skill sets you have, what desires you have in your heart, that as you are walking with a heart being sanctified by the Lord, you actually get to choose what you'd like to do, and you are walking in the will of the Lord. So for some people, that is pursuing higher education to go get certain jobs, and for other people, it it may not be. But all of that is couched within the fact that we are walking in our union with Christ, Mm. and we have the freedom to pursue and don't need to bind ourselves up or bind our consciences with this pressure to make sure we're finding this this perfect, hidden, secret will of God mm. that we mm. need to sort of dredge up from the depths before we can be confident that what we're doing is His will. Yeah, yeah. Uh, That there's actually this freedom that we have to say, I'm walking in my union with the Lord, I trust that He's leading me in the paths of righteousness, and I feel called to go into engineering, or I feel called to go into a seminary degree like myself, or I feel called to go be a marketing major. And we can do that with full freedom and full confidence that the Lord's blessing is on that without needing special signs in the sky or, you know, the fleece we put out like Gideon right, or something right, like that. Right. So I think there's a lot of freedom there and just the specific vocational aspect of that question. Right. And I don't know if this is still true, but I remember probably 10 or 15 years ago, a third of the people who enter school college will graduate and a third of the people who graduate will stay inside their major so you know a sixth of the kids at that point and i don't know what the stats are now but at that point a sixth of the kids that entered with a marketing major were going to end up in a marketing vocation 
for the rest of their lives. And so I think that our union with Christ, as Nate says, gives us the freedom to make the best right decision we know how to make today towards where the Lord is calling us, knowing that the Lord may reveal to us along the way that he's actually calling us somewhere else or, or to a different vocation. And it could be radically different. I went from being an IT guy mm. to a counselor. Yeah, that's that's radically different. Well, all, all three of us here have a similar experience, right? Uh, that's right. Josh Squires went from IT to counseling. Yep. Josh Fleming went from engineering to being a pastoral intern, and mm-hmm. I was finance and global supply chain management, and ended up college ministry. Yeah. So all three of us have had that type of experience that's as right. we tried to walk in the will of the Lord until He made it clear that there was a turn coming. Yeah. Uh, and we followed in the footsteps right. of our Lord. And we just have the freedom to be able, in earnestness, to go along those paths with the help of godly counselors that are alongside us. I don't mean professional counselors. I mean friends and parents and others, right? They're helping us see maybe the Lord is using you and the way that you're created in a different way, or maybe there's an opportunity that you never could have imagined, or maybe there's a passion that the Holy Spirit ignites in you that you didn't have before that you can use to help him in his kingdom. And and we don't have to have the fear that, oh, no, I've wasted two years, mm. or I've wasted mm. whatever. No, the, the Lord is using that. He was mm. in control, and he was sovereign, and he knew that he was, he was bringing you through this to ultimately deploy you in that place. Mm. And so it's good and right, and now let's just keep going where we're going. And it, it frees you up from the odd calculus that people are doing so often. <laughs> yeah where they've got to find out themselves the perfect end for what they're created for, right? And we just rest in God and His, who he's made us to be in our identity in him. And that's out there. And it can sound, you know, very spiritual. I'm going to mm-hmm. lock myself in my closet, and I'm not coming out until I hear from God what he wants me to do. But I think you're right. Both of you guys have hit on there is this, this freedom that we have in Christ and to to faithfully pursue the things he puts on our hearts and pursue them for as long until maybe a different thing comes along and and that at least for all of us that was the case so mm-hmm. yeah just to add one more thing I know for myself uh, selfishly one of my least favorite answers to the question of like what do you think I should do in this situation is pray seek wise counsel and live one day at a time and it's like I want the security mm-hmm. of a black and white answer right. that I know is correct yeah but so often faithfulness and wisdom is prayer, wise counsel, and living one day at a time. And, you know, Psalm 119 says, the word is a lamp unto our feet. It's not a floodlight to the yeah. finish line, right. but it's enough for us to know, okay, I think this next step is the next right step. Uh, or a way I've heard the question put before is, what's the next best thing you can do? Or what's the next right thing you can do? Right. Although, you know, I, I find myself when you say, what's the next 100 right steps I can take. How, <laughs> right. how do I win the chess game before yeah, yeah. I even start <laughs> right. and guarantee it for myself? Yeah. But that creates so much anxiety, even in my mm-hmm. own life. Yeah. Because uh, I'm putting a pressure that I can't bear. Yeah. Because I'm not actually resting in the Lord to be faithful to his promises. Right. Like he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And some of those pressures are gone when you're 45. Mm. You've got probably your vocation. Mm-hmm. You've got your spouse and and family, if, if you get married, the Lord blesses you with children. You've got stability, and there's a trajectory that you can see that is not 
all that variable probably. Mm -hmm. The the Lord can act radically, and I know plenty of 50-year-olds who have come back to seminary to do ministry Mm. or radically changed. I knew a woman who at 55 chose to pursue a medical degree Mm. and is a practicing doctor right now doing great. So those things can happen, but in general, the trajectory is well-defined and observable. When you're 18, 19, 20, 21, are you, sometimes you don't know where you're going to be next week mm. when mm. the semester ends. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to forecast where you're going to be two years from now or three years from now. And if you're going to be in the career field for which you're studying and in the same city, like you said earlier, or state, or who knows. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of that freedom that you have, the comfort that you're given by your identity and union with Christ is particularly poignant for people at this stage of life. Mm -hmm. And they need to feel, I think, the comfort to be able to just lean into that. You're going to want to know what the next five years hold. Mm -hmm. Everyone kind of wants to know that. Even the most impulsive, Mm -hmm. fly-by-the-seat-of-their-pants person would want to know what what five years generally looks like. And at this stage, you're probably not going to get it. Mm -hmm. But you can cling tightly to a God who loves you and is sovereign Mm -hmm. and gives you the ability to walk just one foot in front of the other, Mm -hmm. right, without feeling the crushing anxiety about Mm -hmm. what that means. Mm -hmm. That's great. It is just sort of a unique season with a lot of transition and a lot of change to say, yes, I'm going to take one step at a time and be faithful to a God who has proven himself faithful over and over and given us a record of it in Scripture. It's very comforting. Now, you asked a question as we were prepping for this. How does our union with Christ impact how we relate to peers and professors? Mm. That seems like... That's getting more into the weeds. I mean, because what we said so far, you know, is somewhat applicable to the, the entire Christian life. We need to be thinking, what, how do we are faithful in each day and each... But this is, you know, as we think about peers and professors and... It's yeah, it's external. Place. Yeah. Yeah. And this is where I think I would really be interested in, in Nate, your mm. input on this as somebody who's helping college students walk through this regularly. Sure. I think uh, those are two categories that get addressed slightly differently by the gospel. And one you could think of uh, as it relates to professors, one might be an issue of ambition, possibly. Mm. So I remember a dear friend of mine going off for a master's degree in a certain university system. And because of his faith, he ended up needing to step away because the atmosphere he was in was so destructive because it was so comparative and so competitive Mm -hmm. that he was being forced to compromise certain values he held in integrity and in character and in honor in the workplace because professors wanted to reach a certain status and they would use their TAs Mm. and other people to get there. Mm. So he was put in a position a number of times where he would have been forced to compromise his values of integrity in relation to the gospel. So the gospel can help you sit in that moment and say, I can trust as much as I wanted the pedigree from this program. I can trust I would rather walk faithfully with Jesus then get the pedigree at the end of the day. Right. Because I'd rather hear from the Lord, well done, good and faithful servant, right. than from a professor, well done, good and faithful TA. Right. Mm. You know? Right. So there's a way to, to say, who am I living for? You know, what can man do to me? Yeah. Mm. What's the question? What does it mean to fear the Lord yeah. in relation to that? 
But on the flip side with professors, I think the gospel can also motivate hard work for those who might be on the other side yeah. of that. And they might go into school rather under-motivated right. for their degree or for the schoolwork. And the gospel actually gives us a motivation to work well. I don't remember where I heard this story. It might have been another one from Sinclair Ferguson. But he talked about a lady who was a typist in like mm-hmm. the 1960s. And at the time, there was a typing pool. So all the typists would be in one room together. And there was one young lady in there who had become a believer Mm. and was working really hard at Mm. her typing Mm. and was really proficient and really consistent Mm. because she saw that as an outworking of her faith. Mm. And somebody in the office noticed that she was diligent and disciplined in her work. Mm. And that other person ended up coming to faith because of the way that she worked with integrity wow. in the workplace, wow. yeah. which is an, it's just an amazing thing. On one side, like you never know how the Lord is working yeah. through your life. Yeah. Mm. And sometimes we think we need to be sharing the gospel, and we absolutely do. Yeah. But sometimes the things that open the door to yeah. sharing the gospel is typing well yeah. at <laughs> your typewriter right. and mm. just being disciplined and diligent and honoring your employer and doing that well. Right. So I think the gospel speaks in two ways to the to the professor question. Mm. And the peer question, I think, relates mostly to an issue of belonging. So many people come into campus yearning to belong in a new environment. And oftentimes, I think partially because of our human nature and our sin nature, we'll settle into the community that's easiest to belong to. So for me, it was the people on the floor of my dorm because they were right there. Mm-hmm. They were the easiest to get to. Proximity, I was around them the yeah. most. Proximity was high. Yeah. Time together was high. We had classes together. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. Yeah. But as we wrestle with the idea of our Christian identity, there are times, especially on the college campus, where that community of proximity won't be the healthiest community for sort of Christian nourishment and growth. Right. Uh, and nurture. So what does it look like to wrestle with the question, I know Jesus is worth following when I walk onto campus, mm. no matter what it costs me socially. Right. And I know that he will be sufficient for me because he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother, mm. regardless of what my friendships look like, especially fall of freshman year, for example, right. which is going to be one of the most challenging seasons for most people. And most schools for freshmen, they have to live on campus. Yes. Right. For so most. It's not like you can choose to go live off campus with a group of fellow Christians at that mm-hmm. point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there are particular challenges there where if you can walk into the college campus saying, I know Jesus is worth following, and I trust that based on the promises of Scripture, then you can be really well equipped to deal with some of those hardships that will come in a new environment. What would you say for and and? I want to be careful here because I don't want to make college campus always sound like it is the battlefront. Because mm. I think I think sometimes we in Christian circles can make it sound like that, that it's this place where you're constantly going to be under attack. And I think that there are, can be wonderful places of respite on a college campus. However, it is a place, especially here in the South, where you are more likely to be surrounded by non-believers or have someone in an authority position who's a non-believer and challenging the assertions of a Christian worldview. Mm -hmm. If you are a college freshman, sophomore, what, 
what is your responsibility if you hear those sort of things coming from a peer or a professor? Do you do you feel compelled to challenge them, or is this one of those answer a fool or don't answer a fool sort of <laughs> situations? You know, well, that's one of the most challenging questions to answer, and that's not to wiggle around answering it, but it is exactly what that proverb says. It's yeah. a matter of wisdom. Yeah. Answer a fool according to his folly. Don't answer a fool according to his folly. Yeah. I think the principle being provided there is there are times where if you let somebody in their foolishness walk away in their foolishness, they're confirmed in it. Yeah. And therefore, you have a responsibility to push back some or to yeah. witness into or to speak into. Right. Uh, whereas in other situations, to try to speak into their foolishness would actually be what's affirming them. Yeah. Mm. So there's a matter of trying to understand what's your relationship with the professor or the peer, because that helps to feed into the, uh, how far can I go? How much can I say? How, how faithful can this conversation be between the two of us? And there's also the hard question of what's actually my maturity level mm. and you know, knowing yourself, am I going to be able to do this faithfully or yeah. am I going to come across angry because I feel hurt or I yeah. feel scared that my beliefs are being challenged? Right. Usually acting out of fear won't be the most helpful thing to do in that situation. So what was really important to me is I faced certain situations and I was in a few situations in the classroom that were explicitly anti-Christian yeah. at the University of South Carolina and a few places in peer groups coming back to the local church and being able to say, hey, this happened last night. Yeah. Can you process this with me yeah. so that next time it comes up, I feel more prepared yeah. or I can go back if it's with a peer, for example, and say, hey, you know, we had this conversation the other night. I've been thinking about it. Why? Because I actually care about this person and mm -hmm. I want to engage in this conversation. And I have some thoughts for you since it's been on my mind for the last couple of days. Mm -hmm. But is there a place that you can go like a local church or a local pastor or a campus ministry with people who are older that have thought through some of these issues who can pour into you and can help lead you through them? And I think that's one of the really important principles of the Christian life in general is you're not walking through it alone. Yeah. Mm. And I think that's a really important reminder on college campuses when you can feel so alone Yeah, is you don't have to be. Yeah. There will be local churches in the area. There will be campus ministries. They might not be the biggest, the most exciting, right. the you know most cutting edge, but the Lord will use any of those yeah. to feed you what you need and to keep you in community and to strengthen you when you feel weak. Yep. But if you do try to do it alone, yep. I think that will compound the challenges yep. astronomically. Yeah. Mm. And this sounds like a good place for us to maybe wrap up this discussion because next time we get together, we're going to talk about practical pieces of what it is to enter into college life as a believer. So how do you find a church? How do you find mm -hmm. a, a group? How do you evaluate when you have multiple groups out there, which one might be the right one for you? Thank you, Josh, for putting this together. Absolutely. A lot of fun, guys. This has Thank been a lot of fun. Thank you, Nate, for making the time of course. to be here. Thank you, listeners, for listening, and we will be back with you. God bless you. Until then.